So uh, yeah, we're we're in this series. We we had uh, the the vision of our church expounded upon in our past two sermons: a place to belong and a place to know God. And so now we're heading into our mission. So the vision of our church, that's where we want to go. That's the place we're trying to get to. We want to be a place and we want to invite you and the Holy Spirit uh, to be partners with us in making a place where any human being can belong, no matter their status, no matter their ethnicity, their place in society, that any human being can belong, and a place for anybody to be able to know and encounter God. That's our, that's our vision. That's what we want to be. That's what we want to make space and room. That's how we want to discipline ourselves and our lives to become a space like that for people in the city of Memphis. Our vision is becoming, with an I-N-G at the end, because we don't ever arrive fully there. We're becoming followers of Jesus. And we're becoming followers of Jesus who do three things recover our lives, reimagine our purpose, and refresh our world. So this morning we're focusing in on that recovery of life. Um, this is a, such a timely thing to be talking about at this stage in, in a pandemic and um, in political exhaustion um, and uh, all of the issues around vaccines and race and things like that. Um, the pandemic continues to expose things about our culture and ourselves, and they're usually things that we've been trying to run away from and avoid for a long time. Um, some of the things that the pandemic has exposed are our addictions to activity, to just constantly having something going on all the time. That many of us and our culture at large for sure have been addicted to nonstop stimulation and activity. And the pandemic helped expose that because it put kinks in those activities. Um, it's also exposed how beaten down and exhausted the people who work in service industry are. And how, you know, we've got these signs people putting up at different uh, food industry places like, be patient with us because no one wants to work. And it's like, well, no, it's, it's the pandemic is exposing the just beaten down exhaustion of being somebody who works for minimum wage to serve other people bad food. The pandemic has exposed our destruction and continued destruction of the place we live, our planet how quickly we consume disposable things and how damaging that is on our earth and where we're headed in that way. What the pandemic has exposed is humanity's need to rest, to find a different type of life that has a rhythm to it, that has a heartbeat to it, that has a cycle to it, the way that the scriptures even describe in the poems of Genesis of the six days and the seventh day of rest, of the night and the morning, of the ideas of God praying over us as we sleep and rest, of the principles in the Torah, of the 
the seventh year of Sabbath and the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, where all people and all things rest and debt is forgiven. The earth and frankly, our society is screaming out for rest and recovery. And we are in the death throes of trying to stop that because we don't know what it looks like. We don't know how to do it as a culture. We've lost the art of rest and recovery. So you may have noticed that just not having as much to do, not having as much on your plate doesn't automatically produce rest, does it? Right? If, if you've been busy and then something stopped for you in the pandemic or you all of a sudden felt like, oh, I don't have to do this anymore, it didn't necessarily make you any less tired, but it might have made you aware of how tired that you are. Because a break is not the same thing as rest. A vacation is not the same thing as deep soul rest. So if you're wondering, is that really where I'm at? A good question to ask is what happens when you're alone? Can you be alone and rest? (laughs) Then this sermon is for you if you can't. Can you be alone and find rest in that? Can you find serenity? Here's the thing. In this passage, you could preach a sermon that just sounds like an abstract thing, like just come to Jesus and he will give you rest. And that rest will just be something that kind of falls into your lap and you'll get it. And you know what you have to do to get more of it is you have to come back next week and do another worship service. And then you'll kind of get that rest back. But here's what I'd like to propose to you this morning. And this is in line with how our church operates and seeks to instill these values in our little culture here is that the recovery of life is not something that somebody else can produce for you. So someone can create a restful space for you, but they can't force you to rest in that space. It's like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, right? That whole idea. The church can't actually do it for you. Can't can't impose recovery of life on you. Now, as Mandy shared earlier, it can help to facilitate and guide you into that and disciple you into those things, which is what Jesus is talking about that we're gonna get to right here. Because in this passage, Jesus is inviting us to learn from him and to learn from the church. And as you learn it, you begin to do it for yourself. Listen to this same translation. This is where we get the phrase recovery of life of this passage from the pastor Eugene Peterson who created a, a, a modern day uh, translation of the Bible several years ago. It's, it's so great. It's so useful. Just reading that can be rest for you of just reading the message. It's called, the translation is called the message. It says this, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me 
and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Amen. So um, there's that phrase, recovery of life. And in this translation, what it really highlights or what I wanna draw out that it highlights is Jesus as a teacher, as a, a particular teacher called a rabbi who uh, is inviting people into seeing how he lives life. He's not just standing up and telling everybody else how to live. He's actually inviting people, disciples, to walk with him in his life and watch how I do life. He's not saying um, that I'm going to teach you how to take a lot of breaks. Although breaks are part of it, it's something more significant than that. And, and, and here's the thing I also want to say as we frame this conversation is that he says in the, in the more literal translation that his yoke, which is his teachings, is easy and his burden is light. So the implication there is that there is a burden to carry. That to live life fully does not mean you don't have burdens to carry. Or that sometimes you're not carrying other people's burdens when they can't carry them for themselves. Or that there is, there is no, no substance or significance to the gravity of the decisions that we have to make as human beings. But Jesus is saying here that I will teach you a way to bear those burdens in a way that the world doesn't teach you how to do. That religion that is married with power does not teach you how to do. Because here's the thing, this is why I wanted to make that part clear, is because if we have unrealistic expectations of God or of as Jesus as the Messiah, we will get resentful. Because we'll be hurt that our expectations aren't being met. We'll say, I thought you offered me rest, Jesus, imagining that it's just a belief in Jesus and then the rest automatically comes for the rest of your life. But Jesus here is speaking as a teacher as somebody who's teaching you a way to live. Just like in our mission, it says becoming disciples. Disciples are ones who take on a teaching of a rabbi, of a teacher. So Jesus knows we were made to do hard things, but he has a better way to bear the burdens of life. So expectations are exhausting. Uh, when we have expectations on us, whether they be religious about church, whether they be about work, whatever they might be, if we ourselves don't feel like we can actually say no to other people's expectations, we get exhausted. And that's the state that we're in, in our culture, in our world. There were so many people who didn't know, didn't even think about that they could say no to the expectations that were on them until that choice was they were given permission to do it by a global pandemic. Okay? That, that's incredibly significant, that there, as a culture, we were not healthy enough to know how to say no. And here's the thing, if you don't have a no to something, you can't have a yes, because it's not a choice you're making. 
It's not a choice that you're actually making if you don't actually have the ability to say no because somebody's expectations are doing so much to you, you can't imagine saying no to them. So when, you, when you're in a place where you need recovery of life, anybody need recovery of life? Yeah? It often starts with somebody giving you permission. It often starts that way. It, it, it doesn't need to stay that way. It can be internalized within you, within your spirit, within your soul, with the help of the Holy Spirit. But you need permission and somebody needs to give you that permission. It could be from someone you respect or love, a family member, a friend, a boss, a pastor, whatever, and, say, and saying to you, you can rest, it's okay. It could be from circumstances, you finished a job, you've moved on in life, and those types of things. Or it could be from God. And this is what Jesus offers here. He can teach us this way of living. I want you to hear this quote from this writer, Dallas Willard. He wrote this incredible book on being a disciple of Jesus called The Divine Conspiracy, Rediscovering Our Hidden Life in God. And he's big on the idea that Jesus is a teacher. And he says this, the idea of having faith in Jesus has come to be totally isolated from being his apprentice and learning how to do what he said. That's the key to unlocking recovery of life that I wanna share with you this morning. I wanna share with you two different groups of people that need this rest and recovery and see how you might relate to these things. So the first group of people who need rest and recovery are those who can't keep up or won't keep up with those expectations and the pace that was given to them. Anybody relate to that one? The things, the voices in your head, the people, the culture that tell you you've got to keep doing more and more or you have to keep up these things that feel completely unsustainable to you. They don't feel possible to keep doing. And then the second group is rest and recovery for those who are victimized by that system, who are taken advantage of by that system, like, we, like I mentioned the workers before, the, uh, the food industry workers. So rest for those of us who can't keep up or won't keep up. We've got a set of, of rules that Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about um, identifying with a way of living that accesses rules, religious rules, in a certain way. But here's the thing, following all the rules creates, trying to at least, creates a, a type of hypervigilance in us. We're trying to get our approval, we're trying to maintain our identity by following all the rules. And if, if, you're, if you fail, then you get kicked out of whatever it's in your mind or it's the group that you're in, usually it's both. So the community in this context Jesus is speaking about determined which rules mattered and those rules happen to be the same rules that preserve the status quo, all right? So we've got, in our world right now, we have the status quo has been disrupted. Nobody could do anything about it. It was disrupted. And so there's, uh, there's uh, a clear understanding that uh, that, can't be, that can't be done anymore. That can't be 
with, uh, maintained anymore, that we can't follow all the rules perfectly to preserve this status quo. And so that's why we've got a lot of people just all of a sudden saying no to everything. I'm just going to say no to every single thing there is. I'm not going to do any of it anymore. But they're not resting. They're just exhausted. And this is even true outside of pandemic times because the people that follow all the rules that the, the Pharisees of the day are imparting are the ones who end up with a bunch of anxiety or depression or they just seek to abandon the whole thing anyways, right? So Jesus can offer recovery of life for these people who are exhausted, who are depressed, who can't keep up or won't keep up. He says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This word yoke, it comes from actually uh, uh, a farming uh, practice. So you look up at the screen here and you see these oxen and that thing that's connecting them together is called a yoke. And so in Jesus's time, that idea, one of the ways that that word was used was to say, hey, um, the yoke represents the teachings. So the idea in farming practices was you take an old experienced oxen and you'd yoke it to a younger one. And the younger one, if you let it try to plow a field, it would just go all over the place and it eat stuff and you know do whatever it wanted to. But you yoke it to the older experienced oxen that knew how to uh, plow the field and it would keep it in line and keep it going straight. So the idea came to be uh, in, in teachers like rabbis, like Jewish teachers, you yoke yourself to somebody's perspective and you learn that person's perspective by following with them in that perspective. And so Jesus is saying, take my interpretation of the laws, of the rules, of the things that govern your expectations of the world and I'll teach you a different way to live. It'll feel lighter. It won't feel so burdensome. If you're exhausted, try this instead. Try what I've got to offer and yoke yourself to me. 613. That's how many laws were in the Torah, are in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, where every rabbi would develop their interpretations and teachings. Um, the interesting thing uh, is Jesus certainly doesn't have 613 teachings, does he? But this is what he said about, this is what he said about the, the, the other teachers of the law of the day, the prominent ones. Uh, it's on the screen too. He said, then Jesus said to the crowd, crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So some of you grew up in a community that might've felt like that. It could have been a religious community. It could have been a religious as well. But there were, there were rules and expectations for everything to where you didn't feel like you could make a choice. And you've brought that into your adult life and world and you feel like you can't even breathe half the time. And then you throw the weight of all the events in the world in the past two years on it and it's like you're smashed all the way to the floor. Here's something I find absolutely fascinating. 
We, we don't have any systematic reflection of Jesus teaching on all these laws. We don't. People have tried to turn the handful of teachings we have on the laws from Jesus into that, but we don't. We don't have Jesus extrapolating on every one of these rules and laws, giving example after example of how to do that. Instead, we see Jesus orienting a group of people, a group of followers to say, it is not these laws and the obedience to them that gives you value. I wanna teach you how to see these rules and see these expectations as in a different way, in a way that gives flourishing to human beings. For example, in uh, Matthew 23, verses uh, one through four, um, Oh, no, that's the one I just, uh, that I just read. Um, in, uh, in a later passage, uh, Jesus is talking about, um, or he's with the disciples, and it's the Sabbath, so it's a day of rest. And the disciples are breaking off heads of grain, and they're rolling them in their finger and eating them. And the, the rules and laws became so specific in that time around the Sabbath that that was breaking the Sabbath. That was breaking a law. So it's kind of like if you grew up in, in a kind, some kinds of purity cultures where it's like they'd be measuring your skirts and doing all these things um, up to the nth degree and wearing uh, all the, the promise rings and all those things. And I'm not saying any one of those things in particular are bad, but if they all add up, it's like a whole lot of rules and laws to have to follow. Um, and so they came, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus and the disciples and they said, like, what are you doing here? You're breaking the laws. And this is what Jesus said to them. This is so incredibly crucial and important to understand Jesus as a teacher. In verse 27 here, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So what happens in a society that wants to control us, to control you with expectations, is the rules that are supposed to be to help us flourish instead become what the people are meant to do so that the people become uh, servants to the rules, to the laws, and get ground up in those expectations of those things. The goal is control. Uh, the, the theologian Walter Brueggemann, when talking about this, he talks about it this way. He says, the norms of law, social control, are never accommodated to persons, but persons are accommodated to the norms. Otherwise, the norms will collapse, and with them, the whole power arrangement. So the idea here is this. The people that want to control us don't have faith. The expectations put on us are ones that say we don't have faith that human beings are capable of making good choices without us managing every aspect of their lives. That type of thinking, that lack of faith is what produces the kind of system we have in Memphis, Tennessee, where hundreds of children are being tried as adults in criminal court. You know why they are? Because it's the law. You know why it continues to be the law? Because our district attorney believes that young, especially black boys, are unredeemable. 
when they commit certain things, when they, when they uh, steal something. And that is a prime example of the law being the thing to uphold, not to serve the people, but for the people to be governed and to be flattened and crushed by that law to preserve some random idea of order. But here's the thing. Jesus knows we were made for freedom. Isn't that what he said? Didn't he say that somewhere? Didn't he say that I have come to give you freedom? Yeah, to set you free and that the truth is what, what's gonna do that. It's gonna set you free. So here's the thing. I'm bringing it back around here. I know this is a lot. And this is even my, you know, this is my edited mind still. <laughs> um, this, this freedom uh, that Jesus talks about and represents here is something that comes with responsibility. It's not, it's not what we've been taught that these expectations on us, these laws on us, these rules on us take away our responsibility. It feels like they do. But Jesus is offering something different. He's giving us freedom, but with that freedom comes responsibility. So um, when you're actually able to have that freedom, when you're able to get that freedom, uh, you can find energy in something that was previously draining. Same, same things. You could be doing the same things and you can actually find energy in those things when you actually have the ability to say yes or no because you've, you've gained freedom. You can make decisions based on what causes you and others to thrive other than being locked into the approval, imagined or real of other people, other laws, other expectations. When we worship a God of freedom, a God that's not tied to a government, that's not tied to one specific uh, uh, religious leader, we learn to be free. In the message translation that I read from earlier, I wanna reread part of that. It says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is not a freedom from responsibility. It's a freedom to become responsible for your own actions, how your actions impact the world around you. Um, it is why we participate in things like contemplative prayer, in fasting, in worship, in learning how to become honest. So um, this term yoke, yoking ourselves to the teachings of Jesus, um, it can provide us with this structure that allows us to operate in a way that uh, what governs us is flourishing for ourselves and other human beings. Like I was talking about with the Sabbath, that the Sabbath is a, is a rule, is a law in, uh, in the scriptures, and the idea is rest. 
And yet, it's being used in this instance here as a way to take rest away from people, to become another rule and expectation for them to follow. And Jesus is saying, this was created actually for you, to be given to you to find flourishing and rest and all these types of things. The other way that this word yoke is used is to describe um, oppressive rule in the scriptures. So um, in the book of Jeremiah 28, 11, it says this. This is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, off the neck of all the nations within two years. At this, the prophet Jeremiah went on his way. So the reason why I bring that up is because the second way we were talking about rest, and we're just gonna talk about this for a couple minutes, is rest for those who are victimized by the system. So Jesus is also offering recovery of life to those who are exhausted from being victimized and marginalized by this system. For those, those who don't fit gender norms, who struggle with certain sins that are stigmatized, for those who are being taken advantage of, like food preparation employees, like educators, like big box store employees. This idea of Sabbath was given to a group of people, the people of God, who were coming out of slavery. They were coming out of forced expectations about what every aspect of their life looked like. And one of the things that they were given as soon as they were out of slavery was the story of Genesis of God creating the world and then taking a full day of rest, a God that rests, that there was the Egyptian gods who forced work and uh, expectations on those people every day, all the time. And that was the God that they knew. Maybe that's the God that you've known as well. But when they were taken out of slavery by a God who was free to act outside of the norms and the rules of the culture that they were in, they were given rest. They were given Sabbath. They were given a day to be by God. Our God is a God of active rest and recovery, that you can stop, that you can slow down, that you are not being judged and valued by what you produce every day. That the things that you produce, that many of us have this God in our head that is judging you and valuing you by what you produce every day. And so you don't feel like you can stop. But one of the first things that people under that grueling rule of law and slavery were given, the Israelites were given by God was rest. A whole day of it. And they'd, own, they'd known only work every day, getting up under the rule of law. It was totally legal. It was totally within the structure and the framework for them to be forced to work every day. This is what we're starting to reckon with and deal with in many ways in our world and the expectations that we feel. And I wanna show you this last passage here 
in how Jesus responds to the crowds in his day who are under similar loads of oppression, that, that load, those loads of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the loads of the Roman Empire on them, and how Jesus views those people, those people who are tired and exhausted. It says in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Those two words, harassed and helpless, really stick out to me. If someone's harassed, did they do that to themselves? No, somebody put them in that position. If they're helpless, are we normally as human beings helpless? No, somebody made them to be helpless. Somebody put them in that energy, in in that position. But Jesus looks on them with compassion, energizing the idea of both rest and recovery, that things have to change. So this is what I want you to hear today. It took took me a little bit uh, to get there this morning. Um, Maybe I could use a little more rest and recovery myself. (laughs) That this yoke and this teaching of Jesus, the burden that that, uh, is in place there, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, it's light and it's a rhythm of grace first because we have a God of rest. We have a God that cultivates and wants us to have rest. And in positions and situations in which we are made not to have rest, those who are victimized by the system, that Jesus looks at those people with compassion and sees them as harassed and helpless. And so what I want to say is back where we started, that sometimes we need permission. We need permission to be able to rest and to recover. And here at Christ City, everybody has that permission. And it comes from the God that we believe in, that there's a God of rest and recovery, a God that sees people forced into labor that is demeaning as those people being harassed and helpless, needing help, needing someone to give them permission to rest. So as we practice that in our culture here, we hope and we pray that that can uh, spread out into our culture more at large as we provide rest and recovery for one another. So let's pray.